Dwight Eisenhower said that the urgent is rarely important and the important is rarely urgent. Truth is, most married people, unless we are in a marital crisis, we tend to do just enough to get by with our marriages and with our kids. And we say it's important, but all too often we find ourselves in that place where good enough is good enough. One of the things that I hope will happen in our 30 day marriage makeover series is that we will all be reminded of this truth that God wants us to have great marriages. God wants us to have great marriages because great marriages produce environments where kids can thrive as well as dads and moms. And when marriages aren't working, families aren't working, and not all marriages that aren't working end in divorce. Sometimes they just kind of exist. And I hope that in this series, you will come to this place where you realize that if we could just grasp how God has designed marriage and what God wants for us in marriage, then we would just seize the day and we would go hard after and we would try and follow God in every part of our being so that our marriages could be all that God wants them to be. I hope that you will be encouraged to say in your heart that nothing in my life is more important, that it matters today and it matters for tomorrow because when you build a strong marriage, you you are setting a trajectory for your kids and for their kids and for the kids after that. There really is no greater way to impact eternity than through the legacy of a God-honoring family. I hope you will prioritize this in your life because other than your relationship with God himself, it doesn't matter what it is, your work, your success, the money you earn, the, the, the looks that you have, all those things in life will fade and will ultimately make no difference at all if you don't have a marriage that works, if you don't have children that thrive. I hope that you will just be ruthlessly honest with yourself in this season as you're thinking about marriage and maybe today even begin to ask yourself, where do my energies and my priorities lie? Where does my thoughts go? Where are my dreams? And where do I invest my money? What do I really in life have a plan for? And if marriage doesn't make it up on that list, then something is fundamentally wrong. Last week we said that most marriages don't work and we said that it's not mainly because of communication issues or unresolved conflict or even because of commitment. Those things are only the symptoms. We said that at the root of why most marriages don't work is that most people don't even know what marriage is for. They don't understand God's design for marriage. And remember, we looked at the triangle as an illustration of that. And we saw that God is at the top. The man and the woman are at the bottom. You see the arrows pointing to one another and the arrow is pointing up to God. And I I read to you that key marriage verse in all the Bible, Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And we we, we saw that Jesus would quote that verse twice, the Apostle Paul once, and we, we saw that every time marriage is discussed, it is always about two people becoming one, oneness, intimacy. We talked about the spiritual and emotional and physical aspects of ministry, and we saw how getting closer to God actually brings a husband and a wife closer to each other. I hope that you will keep in mind that God created this relationship of marriage so that you need him to make it work. 
And he does that because he loves you. He does that because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you and relate to you. He, he wants to give himself to you. He wants to bless you. He really does want you to have a great marriage, not just an okay marriage. And one of the reasons for that we, we saw last week is that God wants your marriage to look like Jesus' relationship with his church. Unselfish sacrifice, unconditional love. God wants our marriages to be such that people will look at us and they will stop and they will think they've been married 10 or 20 or 30 or more years and they're still in love. They're, they're not in a rut. They're not just going through the motions. That is God's plan for us. And God's plan for us includes this. When our kids grow up and maybe they're in their 20s, that they could be sitting around with other people and they're talking about the kind of home that they grew up in and, and it wasn't perfect and your home didn't have it all together, but your kids can talk about a dad and a mom that made time for one another, that loved one another, that pursued God together. And they would be able to say, you know, even when they had some conflict, we never felt like their marriage was coming apart I'm sure they had some difficult moments. I'm sure there were some hard words exchanged sometimes, but we never heard it. There was just this solidity and this security that we had. And all around me, I saw my friend's parents getting divorced, but I never thought that would happen in our home. And that's really what we want our kids to think, right? See, marriage does come with a lot of challenges, starting out with the fact that only sinners say, I do. You realize that, don't you? There's only one kind of people that get married, and they're called sinners. And we are just so different as men and women. We bring our different personalities. We bring our baggage into marriage. Marriage does take a lot of work. But I want you to keep in mind, the Bible is so clear. If we follow God's process, God's design, we leave our families of origin as we talked last week. We are united to our spouse. We work at becoming one flesh. When we do that, God has amazing blessings in store for us. You may not have been able to be here last week, and so you didn't hear what we talked about. If that was the case, I really would encourage you to get on the internet and listen to the podcast and get a hold of what God says about getting back to his design because we think that we're really really help you understand all that we're talking about. And with that foundation laid, today we're going to be very straightforward, very practical. I want you to see today how you can get the marriage you've always wanted. And this is not fantasy. It is possible to have a life-giving marriage. And I'm not saying it will be easy. You're going to hear me repeat that a number of times today. But I am saying, if you will put into practice God's principles, if you will put into practice these six steps to a marriage makeover, we're going to talk about it. And if you will keep at it, you will see God work. You will see your marriage grow stronger. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive deeper into some specifics of a marriage makeover. We're going to talk about communication issues. We're going to talk about conflict resolution. We're going to address some of the things that we have to deal with when our marriages sometimes fail, and there's nothing that we can do about it. Uh, there are so many things we're going to be talking about, but first of all, we all need to be receptive to changing, to put ourselves in a place where we can change, and that is what today's message is about, six steps. And again, these 
six steps are not easy. They really are hard. I need to practice them myself all the time, but they do work. And let me just mention this. Maybe you're here today and you're not married. These principles will help in any relationship that you have. They will help in a relationship you have maybe with an estranged child or maybe with your grandkids or maybe with a neighbor you can't get along with. But we're applying them particularly to marriage today. So how do you get a makeover in your marriage? Here's the first thing. If I'm going to see a change in my marriage, first of all, I need to take responsibility for my part. For my part. Galatians 6, 5 says, for we are each responsible for our own contact. Now, let me just say this. For some of you, if you would just start actually putting this biblical principle into practice, it would change your life. You are responsible for your own conduct. Take responsibility for my part. Now, in marriage, you can't control your spouse's actions or their attitudes. You cannot keep your spouse in love with you. I mean, you didn't make them fall in love with you at first. You can't keep them from falling out of love with you. You don't have control over that, but you do have control over your choices and your responses, and so you start here. You take responsibility for your part. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you some quick examples. At first, it means that you stop feeling sorry for yourself. This is a good place to begin, and some of you need to start doing this. You start by stopping to feeling sorry for yourself. Second, you stop comparing your spouse to somebody else. This is so destructive. It never solves any problems. It only makes matters worse. Third, you, you stop complaining about your marriage. Now, some of you say, well, I don't do that. I don't talk to people about my marriage. Well, maybe not to other people, but you do to yourself. Ever do one of those internal dialogues? Why doesn't he ever empty the trash? He knows that I need him to empty the trash. I want him to empty the trash. He can see that the trash is full. I'm always doing chores that he said he would do for me. And then the man goes, why doesn't she touch me more? She hasn't touched me since Tuesday. She knows I like to be touched, and I'm not going to remind her. She knows that I like her to rub my shoulders and I'm just going to wait and see how long it takes. She hasn't, she hasn't hugged me since last week. Now, you keep that kind of thing up, and one of these days, you'll be one of those old men following their wives around in a retired community, just grumbling, nobody touches me anymore, <laughs> trying to tell me what to do. I wear the pants in my family. That's, I'm going to show them that's what I'll do. What would you say, honey? Nothing. <laughs> Not telling you Nothing. Nothing. And just stop it. It's a big waste of energy, these conversations we do in our heads. And we do them, right? I mean, uh, it, also means, it also means you stop blaming your spouse for your unhappiness. See, the truth is you are as happy as you choose to be. You choose how you respond to life. And this includes your spouse's issues Nobody else can keep you happy. Nobody else can make you unhappy. And by the way, just kind of a side note, this is true about your relationship to God. You are as close to God as you want to be. If you want to be happier, then I would say get closer to God. I mean, that's a choice. Nobody's keeping you away from God. And the closer you get to God, the happier that you will be because really with God is where real happiness is located in case you didn't know. This also means you stop fantasizing. 
Stop daydreaming about what might have been or what could be. You, you, you'll never improve your marriage if you're always escaping through fantasy and daydreaming. You, you see, you start, you start by taking responsibility for your marriage. Now, you, you've heard this before, but I want you to hear this again. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. See, the grass is actually greener where you water it, where you fertilize it. And some of you, if you took as much time watering your own relationship as you spent wishing and wanting, daydreaming about something else that might be, I mean, just do some watering and the grass will start getting greener on your side. I want to address something that many of us have found ourselves believing or fallen into believing. It has to do with with this uh, idea of incompatibility. And I want to tell you, this is one of the biggest barriers to accepting responsibility. We believe there's this thing of incompatibility. It's actually a myth. You know, we've all heard people say, well, we're just incompatible, and that becomes an excuse to, to divorce. We just can't get along. There is no scientific evidence, any basis behind this idea of incompatibility. It actually doesn't exist. It's just a made-up concept in word. I want to read what two of the top psychologists and marriage experts in the world say. Dr. Paul Turnier, a Swiss psychiatrist, wrote a lot of books on marriage, including Understanding Each Other. He said, so-called incompatibility is a myth invented by judges in order to make a plea for divorce. It's a common excuse for people to hide their failings. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected if there is a willingness to do so. He's just saying there is no such thing as incompatibility. You know what it is? It's really immaturity. It's you refuse to grow up. I want what I want. You want what you want. I'm stubborn. You're stubborn. I'm selfish. You're selfish. And so we can't get along. And so we need to quit calling it incompatibility and call it what it is, immature, stubborn selfishness. I don't want to grow. I don't want to change. I want my way. And you do too. See, it's a choice. Another doctor named Paul Popino was the director of the Institute of Family Relationships. He's written dozens of books on marriages, and he says this, I don't believe in incompatibility. I don't believe it exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. And see, as you take responsibility, I'm going to give you a suggestion that will help you with everything else we're going to talk about. Are you ready? This comes from my 31 plus years of marriage, and here it is. Tackle one problem at a time. You may have a lot of issues in your marriage that need to be addressed, but tackle one problem at a time. And here's the rest of that. Start with the easiest one first. Don't start with the worst, hardest one, okay? Don't start with a problem that takes you to bad places. You know what that one is, don't you? Start with the easiest one first. Work on it. Let God work in that. Get some wins under your belt. Do another easy one. You know, do it that way. That's a wiser way to go. But you have to begin by taking responsibility for your part. Here's the second thing you need to do for a marriage makeover. Believe God can change my marriage. You have to believe. You have to have faith. And I don't know how you are feeling about your marriage right now, but I can guess. Some of you are here, and right now you are feeling deeply hurt. Some of you are honestly feeling apathetic. Some of you are feeling hopeless. 
Some of you would say, I don't think there's any hope for my marriage. But here's what I want to say. Regardless of how you feel about your marriage, I want to tell you something that I know is true. I hope you will listen very carefully. Here it is. God has not given up on your marriage. God can do what you can't do. And Jesus Christ himself said this, Matthew 19, 26. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Do you believe that? See, God can do what we can't do. And if you read the context of this verse, Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about the most uh, incredible thing in all the universe, God taking someone who's dead and making them alive. God taking a sinner and giving them salvation. And if, if God can do this with salvation, he can certainly do it with marriage. The Bible says many times, nothing is impossible with God. Now, I want to be brutally honest for just a second. When I a moment ago said, God has not given up on your marriage, some of you thought this. I wish he would. Because if God hasn't given up on my marriage, then that means I can't give up. And some of you are thinking, I wish God would give up because then I would have the freedom to give up. When I say that God hasn't given up, for some of you, I understand. It's almost like you heard the prison doors clang shut one more time. You heard the key turn in the lock. But I want to encourage you, instead of being angry with God for not giving up on your marriage, instead of being angry with God for saying in his word that he hates divorce, stop and for just a second ask yourself, why? Why would God not give up? Why does God say that he hates divorce? It is not because he wants to trap you. God doesn't want to make you miserable. Here's the reason. God doesn't give up because he has your best interests at heart. God hates divorce because he knows how it hurts his children. God wants your marriage to work because he knows the potential, the joy that it can bring into your life. That's why he doesn't give up. That's why he keeps giving you strength that you would never find all on your own. See, the real question for many of us right now is how are we looking at our marriage? Are we looking at it from a human perspective or are we looking at it from God's perspective? God can do what we cannot do. God can resurrect a dead marriage. God can resurrect a dead love life. Believe that God can change your marriage. And before we go to the next step, I wanna say one thing. I want some of you who are here right now and you're divorced or you're in a situation in which the other person is not or maybe will not ever respond. What I am saying here does not deny the reality of the brokenness in our fallen world where sometimes God's best for us doesn't turn out. You need to know that if that's the case in your life that God still has grace and mercy and life for you. He is still working in your life. Your life is not over. We need to continue to trust him and walk with him in whatever path he has given us, but, but believe that God can work in our lives. Whatever circumstance we are in, remember that nothing is impossible with God. Once you're taking the step of trusting and believing that God can work in your marriage and change it, the third step is commit to doing whatever it takes. 
You know, when I ask most people, when you ask most people, what is the word that would summarize marriage? What's marriage about? In America, we would almost always say love. I want to suggest something different. I want to suggest to you that the most important word in marriage is commitment. Commitment. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible applies to every situation in life. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, if you miss everything else I say this morning, don't miss the next couple of minutes. I wonder if you've ever looked around. Maybe it's even happened today. You looked across this room. You see somebody. You've seen them before. You look at them. They look so happy. And you think to yourself, man, they have a great marriage. They are so lucky. They are not lucky. Great marriages don't just happen. They never do. Great marriages always take effort. If you look at someone and they have a great marriage, these are people who are reaping a harvest from little seeds sown over time, over a long period of time. The truth is people with great marriages have humbled themselves and admitted they were wrong time and time and time again. People with great marriages have been honest and vulnerable with their spouse even when it wasn't reciprocated time and time and time again. People with great marriages have chosen to serve their spouse unselfishly sometimes when their spouse doesn't even notice and they do it time and time and time again. People with great marriages have chosen to change. They've been willing to change, to do whatever it takes, and they've done that time and time and time again. Bottom line, do you see it? It takes time. It takes work. Great relationships happen when people obey God and they do what's right over and over again for a long time. I want to make sure you get this. So circle a couple of phrases in this verse there in your notes or underline, at the proper time is one phrase, and then if we do not give up. What do these tell us? Well, first of all, as I said, it tells us this takes time. Let me just ask some of you, you you, you can just answer in your head, didn't it take a lot of time to get your marriage into the mess it's in today? Most of you are not as skilled as this to just do it overnight. You had to work at it for a while to get it as bad as it is. Well, doesn't it make sense that it may take some time to get it out of that mess? See, it takes time. Harvests don't happen overnight. And the sooner we own that, the better. Then that phrase, if we do not give up. I want you to think about this. Commitment means that you will have to be unhappy during some seasons of your marriage. If you're committed, it means, just by definition, that you are willing to be dissatisfied for a season and, and not give up. I want to ask you to do something, okay? Uh, I want to ask uh, everyone who's in this room who has been married for 25 years or longer to just stand up. Would you be willing to do that for just a second? Just stand up where you are, 25 years or longer. I'd like you to stay standing. Amen. Just stay standing. Those of you who are standing, I'd like to ask you two questions, all right? Uh, And here's the first question. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever had in your marriage at least one time a conflict or an argument, would you raise your hand? <laughs> Look around right now, okay, 100% of the hands are up right now. Now, you put your hands down, but stay standing. This next question uh, calls for maybe a little more transparency. 
I want you to raise your hand if the thought has ever occurred to you, if only for the briefest moment, I wonder if I should give up. Anyone ever thought of giving up? You just thought about it? See, almost every hand is raised. Now, I want to honor you who are standing because you who have thought about giving up, you didn't. You have hung in there for more than 25 years in a world that doesn't know the meaning of commitment. You know what commitment means. So I just want to say thank you, and you can give them a hand again, and you can have a seat. See, stay committed. Commitment requires that, you know, being committed requires that we're going to go through some seasons that may not be so great. Now, before we move to this fourth step, I want to address something. If you are a normal human being, it would not be surprising for you to be sitting there right now thinking, okay, yeah, but I don't really feel like it. This all sounds like a good idea, but Mike, honestly, I'm not sure I have the emotional energy to do this. I don't really want to. Well, where do you go? What do you do when you don't want to? How do you get the want to? Well, two things I just want to mention that are easy to to speak about and write down, hard to do, pray and obey. If you find yourself in a place where you just really don't want to, then I would encourage you to pray, Lord, please give me the want to. You know, sometimes a really great prayer is to be honest with God and say, say, God, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, but God, I want to want to. Would you help me to want to want to? That's a legitimate prayer. And that's where some of us may need to start. God, I know you have my best interest at heart. I I know that you revealed plainly in your word what you want me to do in my, my marriage. And right now, I don't really want to, but God, would you help me to want to? You pray and then you obey and you just, you just take it one step at a time. It's just one foot in front of another. You obey today and you get up tomorrow and you obey some more then and the next day after that, you just do it one day at a time even when you don't feel like it. Do you understand that feelings follow obedient actions? C.S. Lewis once wrote that you shouldn't waste time worrying whether you really love someone or not. He said, if you are called to love them, then you should simply act as if you do love them. And he said, when you do that, you will soon find yourself actually loving them. What he was talking about has long been known among human behavior specialists. It's this idea that you do not feel your way into acting, that you act your way into feelings. Feelings always follow actions, and your, your feelings eventually follow obedient actions. Let me just say this. Some of you are living your life by your feelings, and you are ruining your marriage, waiting to feel like doing the right thing. Some of you, if you're doing this, I'll just put it this way, pretty plainly, you're sinning because you're choosing not to obey, waiting on a feeling. God doesn't say feel like obeying. God just says obey. And some of you need to come to a place where you realize your feelings are not in charge. God didn't intend for your feelings to run your life. And it's time to live by truth. And it's time to let the feelings happen when or if they ever do. See, feelings follow obedient actions. 
Commitment is so important. Let me give you a definition for commitment. Commitment means you do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. See, that's what it just means to be a mature Christ follower. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they tell me, well, I'm just in this bad relationship. I mean, it's just not working. It's never going to work. And I, I just know if I could get out of it and I could find a different relationship, then, then everything would be better. You know, I've talked to people over my 30 plus years of being a pastor and many times they've told me I was in this marriage and this marriage, sometimes three or four marriages, other relationships. And, and they say, just nothing ever works. And I, I sort of like to ask this question to help them kind of understand some things. I said, well, let's think about this. In all those relationships, what's the common denominator? <laughs> See, here's a reality of life. Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and if you don't face your problems, if you don't face your issues, you're never gonna get anywhere. Let me tell you this as well. Some of you really need to write this down. Great marriages come at great cost, but a divorce costs more. <laughs> I mean, there's some of us here who would say, I could share with you all kinds of stories. I never wanted it to happen. I did everything I could to keep it from happening, but it still happened. And even though in God's sovereign will, this is where I am today, I can tell you from personal experience how much divorce costs. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's not where you are today, put that effort in. Commit to doing whatever it takes. Number four, the fourth step is deal with unresolved hurt. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is true in any relationship Christians have with one another. It is particularly true in the marriage relationship. In other words, you both ask for forgiveness and you grant forgiveness. This is a, to be a reality, and it is a reality in any healthy marriage. And it is so healing when you confess your sins, when you admit that you are wrong. You know, there are three words that are utterly essential to any good marriage relationship. And I know what some of you are thinking they are. Some of you think, oh, that's the words, I love you. And those are important words. But here's the three words that in some relationships may be more important. And some of you have a hard time saying them. The three words are, I was wrong. I was wrong. Now, some of you, you need to practice those words, and so I'm going to help you out today. This is just <laughs> my gift to you as your pastor because I love you. I'm going to help you work on this because some of you have trouble. It's like a speech <laughs> impediment sometimes with these words, and so we're going to practice today, and we're just going to do it all together, right? We're going to say those three words. You follow with me, everybody together. I was wrong. That wasn't so bad, was it? Now, we're going to kick it up another notch, okay? And uh, we're just going to take it up another notch. And I want you to turn to your spouse. I want you to hold their hand. I want you to look them in the eye. And I want you to say, I was wrong. Right now, everybody do that. I kind of hear the doubt out there. Um, some of you really needed to say that right now because you had a fight on the way to church. And 
And I did hear somebody say amen right in the middle of all that too. That wasn't my intention, okay, for you to say that. Well, uh, we need to deal with unresolved hurt. Look, look at the next verse. It tells us that we must forgive our spouses. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I just want to ask you something. I'm very serious about this. What do you today need to forgive your spouse for? You know what it is, Right? Maybe you need to write it down and you need to grapple with it. Where in your life do you need to make allowance for your spouse's faults, as Paul says? If you find this hard, remember they have to do the same thing for you. And I know for some of you, you hear this and everything in you recoils. You think, they hurt me, they're not even sorry, and they keep doing it. They do it over and over and over again. But Paul says we are to forgive as Jesus forgives us. And sometimes we hurt him. Sometimes we hurt him and we're not even sorry. And let's just be honest, we hurt him over and over and over again, right? And he still forgives us. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the way you are to forgive others. See, the truth is forgiveness needs to be a daily decision in a marriage or really in any relationship. You have to offer forgiveness on a daily basis. And if, and if you have decided, if you have decided I am not going to forgive them, look at me, please hear me. You are ruining your marriage. You're disobeying God his clear command, and you are ruining your marriage. You need their forgiveness. They need your forgiveness on a daily basis. I'll never forget reading about the woman who founded the American Red Cross. Maybe you've heard her story. Her name is Clara Barton, and she was a remarkable person, and a friend of hers once reminded her of an especially cruel thing that had been done to her many years before, and when she talked about it, to Clara, Clara didn't seem to recall it. And the friend was surprised and kind of prodded her and said, you, you remember this, don't you? And Clara Barton finally said, no, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. <laughs> and maybe you need to forget something that your spouse did. You need to forgive them. You need to deal with unresolved hurt. Now, I'm not talking here about abusive kinds of situations. I'm not talking here about allowing someone to take advantage of you. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole nother topic, okay? I just want you to know that. But for most of the hurts that we have in our lives, the clear response on our part is to be forgiveness. And this is what it takes to make over a marriage. Here's the fifth step. Find support from others. In other words, don't try to face this alone. And, and by the way, you need to make sure you're getting support from the right people and from the right places. You understand, don't you, that there's a lot of things in our culture that work against a successful marriage. There's a lot of people who will say to you, oh, just get out. Don't, 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 don't keep working on that. You need to be happy. You need to follow your truth. They'll say stuff like that or other stupid things. 
You need to follow your bliss. See, I'm just saying to you, there are people who will tell you stuff like that, and you know, you may not like the pastor saying stupid, but I'm sorry, it's stupid. I have to tell you the truth. God's truth is true. Our truth, not always so much. And so find the right people to listen to. Find people who know God's truth and who will speak God's truth to you. It may be a wise friend. It may be a, a counselor who understands uh, what the Bible teaches. It, it may be a, a couple that you know in this church and they have a strong marriage and they've gone down some roads that you haven't been to yet and you can spend time and learn from them. Now, some of you, you might be able to go to your parents, but a lot of us, I would say, be careful going to your parents. Sometimes the worst people to go to when your marriage is in trouble, are your parents. And for some parents, you'll always be their little boy, you'll always be their little girl, and, and all they can see is you are hurting. And sometimes wise parents who give great advice in every other area, they give bad advice to their kids facing marriage problems. Maybe you need to go to your parents for comfort, but go to someone else for good marital advice. Whatever it is, you, you find support from other people. The Bible speaks about this quite a lot. Proverbs 24, 3 says, it takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. Proverbs 19, 20 says, get all the advice and instruction that you can. See, we're, we are not uh, smart enough, any of us, to make marriage work all by ourselves. You know, you, you had to take driver's ed to learn how to drive a car. Probably yesterday, you went on the internet, the source of all wisdom in the universe, and you watched a YouTube video that told you how to fix something in your house. See, we, we get instruction and advice on all kinds of things. Why not something as important as marriage? And so if you have wise friends, you listen to them. If you can find a Christian counselor, go to them. I, I'm going to put on the screen right now a list of a half a dozen helpful books uh, on marriage, all great resources. Um, you can write something down as long as that's up there. I mean, you probably won't make the whole list. We're going to put it up on Facebook where you can get the whole list and, and you can check those out. Some of you would really benefit from taking time to dig into a book and just think through uh, some marriage issues. The point is, whatever, uh, wherever you find help, don't go it alone. Find support. Find the encouragement that you need. And that brings us to our final point. Again, some of you have heard all of this and you're, you're, you're thinking right now, well, I would love for our marriage to work. I mean, who wouldn't? But Mike, honestly, I'm, I'm just tired. Tired of trying. I've hit the wall so many times. Kind of out of energy. I don't feel like I have anything left to give. In fact, I, I feel powerless to change my marriage. And my response to that is Good. Because that's the first step to recovery. I admit that I am powerless, that it's out of my control. That causes me to turn to God. It causes me to say, God, I'm going to give it to you. And that's why ultimately the most important step in any marriage makeover is this last one. I want to put it like this. Focus on trusting Jesus. So you have to get God at the center of your life and at your marriage Someone might say, what's the deal with focusing on God, trusting God? Well, there's something supernatural that happens when there's something in your marriage that you both agree is bigger than you, bigger than your marriage, bigger than your problems, bigger than your personal agendas, and it's God. And when you both agree that God's agenda 
is bigger than your issues. God can do some amazing things. I love this verse, which is really about all of the Christian life. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All of us, in all circumstances of life, need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We particularly need to do so in this area of marriage. Because the easiest thing to do in life is to lose your focus. And so you, you keep refocusing. You keep replacing uh, your trust on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. You say that's hard. It is. Let me give you another verse that will give you some hope. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Why don't you underline or circle the phrase desire to obey and the phrase power to do. See, God can give you both of those things. And as you focus on trusting Jesus, he will do what he says. He really will. In fact, as I close, I want to issue a challenge to you. I want to challenge you to make sure you are here every week in this series, that you just make it an absolute priority to be here, to hear what God's word says, to take God's word to heart. And if for some reason it's just impossible, then I want to challenge you to go get those messages. They're going to be online. You can listen to them. There's, There's no reason for you to miss what God is going to say to all of us. This is a desperate need in our church family. And it would be such a powerful example to our communities if we could say to the people around us, you know how Southwinds is seeking to address the problems of of marriage conflict and divorce and and all the things that come out of all of these things. We, We take this so seriously that as a church, all together, we are focusing on it for an entire month. And I said last week, and I said it again today, that as we each grow closer to God, as we each pursue a deeper relationship to him, we inevitably grow closer to each other. That's what I asked you as I wrap this up, this question. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for God to change your marriage? Some of you need to write that down. Some of you need to look at that question. You need to go home and think about it and ask yourself as honestly as you know how, what the answer to that is. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for God to change your marriage? Because God always starts by changing you. Would you bow your heads? We're gonna pray together. And as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I just wanna encourage you um, to take the one thing that God has spoken to you most clearly about today and just offer that up to him. Father, there are many couples here this morning who are struggling, and I ask you, would you please help them? Lord, there are some here who are separated, who are considering divorce. Father, I pray, would you please help them? Lord, there are some here who are suffering in abusive situations. I pray, Father, would you please help them? And Lord, there are some here who are staying together, but the truth is there's no life or joy in their marriage. And again, I ask, would you please help them? 
as your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, I, I would love to encourage you to continue to pray in these directions. Let me give you some suggestions. It's just there in your heart. Pray something like this. God, I will take these six steps. Just tell God that. Just tell God, God, I want to take responsibility for my part and I'm asking you to help me quit blaming and complaining and fantasizing. And God, would you help me believe that you can change my marriage? The best is yet to come. And, and God, I, I need your strength to commit to doing whatever it takes, even if it means getting counseling, anything, God. And God, would you help us deal with our hurts? Help me to ask forgiveness for what I've done wrong. And God, please give me the grace to extend forgiveness every day. I don't want to be bitter or resentful. And God, would you help me to find support? Help us to find support. Would you open our eyes to the support that's around us? And Lord, we, we're going to get something. We're going to read something. We're going to go to someone. We're going to do whatever you want us to do together. most of all, Jesus, I know I need you in the middle of my marriage. I need you to do the makeover. And so, Jesus, I ask you today, would you make me a new person? Would you give me a new marriage? Would you do what only you can do? We pray these things all of them and so many more requests that have been lifting up to the Father in these moments. We pray them together as God's people now and we pray them in the name of God's Son, Jesus the Christ, Jesus our Lord and our Savior and all God's people together said, Amen.